Our scripture reading this evening is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and a man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So in light of the verses I read earlier from Ecclesiastes 3, I'm inclined to ask you what season is it and the way you answer that question depends upon your hobbies, what your interest is. Some of you are tempted to think, well, it's baseball season. Uh, that wasn't sure for a time there. It's basketball season, which seems to go on forever. I'm pretty sure it's still hockey season, which is unbelievable. Uh, if I was in a different part of the country, the people would have been asking themselves, is it fishing or hunting season? And in some places, very few of you would have asked, is it opera season? Don't ask me. I don't know. And in some places in Imperial County, in Imperial County, it's harvest season for something, I'm sure. In Southern California, it is always tourist season. 
And when my wife and I, our family lived in Chicago, we said there are two seasons. There is winter season, and then there is construction season. But our passage is about seasons as people experience them. And some of you find yourselves in a particular season. It might be a season in which you are rejoicing. But for some of you, it is a season to cry. Uh, For some of you, you're in a season of life that is very, very busy. Some of you, perhaps, in a season where you can retire. And for some of us, we're just beginning a season, and for some of us, we're just ending a season. Those are the patterns in life as we experience them, and that's what our passage is about. It's about time and how we experience it. In verses 1 through 9, we could capture those verses as simply talking about time. And then, verses 10 through 15, about time eternal, or eternality, if you wish. And then, closing out the, the, the chapter, verses 16 through 22, that time runs out. So verses 1 through 9, time. 10 through 15, time eternal. Then verses 16 through 22, time runs out. And some of you of a certain age are wondering when I'm going to refer to the bird song, turn, turn, turn. I just did. All right, so what is time? It's the most often used noun in the English language. Time, what is it? And Augustine said, I know what time is until somebody asked me to explain it. But he also said time is about how we experience it. And experience tells us that Einstein is right, that time is is relative. It seems to run at different speeds. Um, If you have a child, you know that when that child is sleeping... Time runs differently from when that child is crying in the grocery store when you're trying to check out. Uh, that even sitting in a chair, something as innocent as that, time could be different depending upon if that chair is in the dentist's office or if that chair is in the movie theater and you're watching your favorite movie. Time runs at different seasons and different speeds. And it runs in different seasons as well. And there's a time for all of this. Human life is seasonal. That's what he is saying here. And the preacher is talking about how we experience time the events in time and the way which they come and go. And he says there's a time to begin and there's a time to finish, a time to plant and a time to reap, to gather, to spread, to encourage, to discourage, a time to laugh, a time to cry, to build up, to tear down. There's even a time to hug and a time for hostility. But notice in each of these, he simply presents to us the polar ends. And what he's telling us is that it's these things and everything in between them. And that points to the completeness of life as it's captured by these particular seasons. So, for instance, it's not just that life is merely seasons of laughing and then seasons of crying. It's those two emotions, but all the emotions we feel in between those things. So it's all of it. At these times, they come and and they go, and you and I are caught in these seasons. And part of the point he wants to make is that you and I are on the passive side of this, that you and I can't do anything about it, that we're not in control of these seasons. We're not the author. We don't have a blueprint to how these seasons come. About 10 years ago, there was a song that closed out every high school prom in the United States. It was by Green Day, and it went like this. It says, time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go, so make the best of this test, and don't ask why. I hope you had the time of your life. And actually, that line captures really well what he's talking about. It's time that gets hold of you, and you don't really have control of this. It controls you. And you can try to resist time. You can try to resist these seasons, but that's living in denial. It's like a song by Hooting the Blowfish called Time. And he says, can you teach me about tomorrow and all the pain that and sorrow I'm running from? Because tomorrow's just another day 
and I don't believe in time. But it doesn't matter. Time believes in you. And you need to be like the farmer, as the preacher says. The farmer understands there are these seasons, and his whole life is, is controlled by these seasons, and you need to accept that. You need to accept that there's a season to plow, there's a season to sow, there's a, a season for you to feed or to cultivate or to prune and to harvest, and you need to accept that. The fundamental things apply as time goes by in the song from Casablanca. And so if this is true, he says in verse 9, so 9 is kind of a conclusion to the poem, if this is true, if we're caught in these, these seasons, in this, these endless seasons, what is there to gain from my work? And that is always one of the key questions in this book. It's like that dinner guest that you have over, and you always know that one subject's going to come up, and that's true of this dinner guest. He's always interested, how does this affect my job? What does this mean for my labor? And if this is true of these, these seasons... And here's where we need to notice something in order to answer that question about the poem. If you look at the poem, it has no order. There's no sequence. It's not like he lines up all the good things in column A and all the bad things in B. There's, there's no pattern back and forth. It is what we would say random. And part of the point is that you can't predict these seasons. You can't control these seasons. You can't control time. And you can't squeeze in between these moments of time. There is no wrinkle in time. And so as we go about our work, we do so knowing that we cannot control many things. We cannot control what season this is. We cannot control what comes and goes. It's kind of like the stock market and everything else that gets caught up in the web of time. And everything is caught up in this. But if that's true, then it creates a little bit of a dilemma for us, a problem that he addresses in verses 10 through 15. That God has placed us within this created order of time, and that creates a problem. He says in verses 10 and 11, on the one hand, we are busy, very, very busy within time, and yet we're curious about eternity. God's placed us within these seasons of time. We're concerned about time. Everybody wears a watch. And yet, eternity is something we think upon, we dwell about, we're asking ourselves, what is it that happens after death? Where's time in that? What, what happens? And this is where he says something that's so key. He says, yet that eternity, even though it burns in our hearts, it's hidden from our eyes. We simply cannot see what God has designed uh, or what he's accomplished from beginning to end. And it reminds us what Isaiah tells us, my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's, it's humbling. And so the preacher's reminding us is that we, we don't have a master plan. We cannot see anything from its beginning uh, to its end. Verse 11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That every, every season fits together perfectly in its time. Beautiful? Think of the poem again. A time to kill? A time to break down? A time to cast stones? A time to hate? A time for war? That's, that's beautiful. But you see that word beautiful can also be translated proper. God has prepared everything that's in the appropriate place. And so we say beautiful according to whom? Well, according to God. 
because you cannot see. You cannot see how everything works in, in God's timing. And that's one of the most significant points we need to absorb from this text. It's humbling. But there's two conclusions. If that is true, there's two conclusions. And the first one is in verses 12 to 13. And he says, be happy and take pleasure in the life that you have as long as you live. It's a gift from God. And it's okay to enjoy the fruit of your hands, to see a, a, a plan that you've been working hard on, to see it come together. You've managed a team and you've, you've found good results from it. You've made something with your hands. It's okay to enjoy that. And it's okay to enjoy the simple things of life, very simple things, to eat, to drink, to do good, to savor. And that, carpe diem, to seize the day and to enjoy the day that's given to you. When Oliver Wendell Holmes turned 94, he decided it was time for him to learn Greek. And somebody said, you're 94. Why are you learning Greek? And he said, well, it's now or never. And that's, that's the heart of this. That's exactly what he's saying. Enjoy those days that God has given to you. That's his, that's his gift to you. But the second conclusion, verses 14 through 15, is one he's already hinted at. And it's, it's the obvious thing. We're confronted by our limitations. And the fact that God, and only God, is unlimited. It's the nature of all that he does. What he does endures forever. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. That's why people worship God. But it's also the nature of life that we don't understand. That which is, already has been. What is to, what is to be, already has been. It's, it's like these seasons are on a continuous loop. You know, things, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or the old Carly Simon song, nothing stays the same, but it's coming around again. And in light of these seasons and all this, God does what we cannot. The text says he seeks what has been driven away. And the word seeks means to search after something and to go get it. To gather it up like a shepherd does, the wandering sheep going off here and there, and the shepherd goes and he gathers up his lost sheep. And that's the idea here. There's, there's so much in these seasons and these cycles of these seasons that, that you and I can't remember. We forget about those things, all these memories that, that get lost, all these details that strike us as meaningless or insignificant. But they are significant. And they're not lost. It's God who goes and he fetches each of these back home. The picture is God is a shepherd, that he is going to corral all of these things all together that were lost on us or meaningless to us, and you and I will see the meaning of them, perhaps, in the life to come. But not in this life we cannot see, and we cannot seek in the way that, that God does. But what about when time runs out? That's what he talks about in verses 16 through 22, that there is a right time for everything. And there are moments when we really need justice to be timely. There are those moments when we especially need justice to answer this particular problem. And in verse 16, he says, just at that moment when you expected the right thing to happen, that's not what happened. That's the moment when you got slapped in the face with wickedness. There was a terrible crime. All the evidence is clear. We have the right person. And... Um, the, the jury comes back, though, and it says not guilty. And he's saying life is filled with these moments, that this, this timeliness of justice. We always say justice delayed is justice denied. And he's saying that's exactly how we experience life and its, and its times. And in light of that dilemma, 
There's still hope, he says in verse 17. That this is exactly the sort of wrong that God is going to address. When he judges the righteous and the wicked. He says, for there is a time for every matter, for every work, including judgment. And again, this gives us hope. And it reminds us of how limited we are, but, but God sees all things. That there are those details that the juries missed or that even the judge did not see. There's information that they forgot. There were details that got lost on them. But God does not miss anything. And God does not forget. And there are things that are not lost on him. And the significance of those things are not lost to him. But until that time, that time of judgment, these things are there to test our faith. Even when they strike us as absurd, that this is completely absurd and vanity. Perhaps especially when we think of death, the great silencer, death when time runs out. And he says in verse 19 that death does not discriminate, not even between species. Everything that has breath eventually dies. As one dies, so does the other. There's no advantage. He says, dust to dust. That's how it seems. And judging by appearances, who knows where a life goes after? Do animals have souls? Where do people go? Again, it's a test of faith. Is this the case? Is there only death? Again, the conclusion, enjoy the time that you have, the work that you have. Rejoice in it. That is our, our portion. Because, he says in verse 22, nobody knows what follows. And just as we cannot see the beginning, so also we cannot see how it ends. And that brings us back to the very heart of the significance of this as we reflect upon these verses. It's we do not see. We simply do not see. We are caught in time. But what we cannot see, God sees. And we are sure that from his perspective, as we see things from his perspective, there's nothing arbitrary. The poem is how we experience it, but the poem does not explain what life is. And we're reminded by the promises of God, like in Romans 8, 28, there's nothing that just happens to us. That is not the case. Everything, in fact, is directed to us, and it's for our good. This is what we know, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And this season that you are experiencing, this season that I'm experiencing, it is not random. And God knows, better than we, what is best. And so Ecclesiastes drives us in our faith to go forward and, and not to be frustrated and to be assured that, that this is a God who sees everything from its beginning to its end and everything in between. That all of it is consecrated for his purposes. All of this is consecrated to bring about the plan that he had for you from the beginning. That plan you cannot see or understand, or comprehend, or fully appreciate. That everything comes to us at the right time, in the right measure, in the right way. And we fall back upon the assurance that this is a God who, who brings light out of darkness. The God who is able to, to find 
joy in that crucible of misery. This is a God who literally brings life from death. And there are those moments, those seasons where we're experiencing, for instance, great temptation. But is using that temptation to make you wiser. And then worse than temptation, those seasons of failure, when we keep falling to that same temptation, well, he's using those failures to, to humble us. Or for some of us, seasons of tremendous affliction and sorrow, but those are driving us to our knees and to seek greater dependence upon him. Or seasons of tremendous suffering, but through that suffering, one of his best and favorite instruments, he's creating character in us. And that character is forming endurance in us. And that is that is crucial. That is absolutely crucial. It says in verse 11 again, God created every season as beautiful for its time. Why? So that you would be complete and lack nothing. That's exactly what James says in James chapter 1. He says, when these trials come, you need to rejoice in them and to be steadfast. But then he says this, and I think this is so wonderful. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, he's saying, don't cut off the season. Don't pray that way. Let it go to its full extent because God is doing something in that season to create a level of steadfastness you've never seen before, and it needs to have its full effect. He's testing your faith, to be sure, but not to fail, but to succeed and to produce steadfastness in you, a steadfastness of faith. And you see, this is what Ecclesiastes 3 is encouraging in us, this perspective of faith, so we would have a proper perspective on time and how to see and how to frame this present suffering or these seasons. They always have to be measured against the eternality of glory. Think of how Paul puts it in Romans eight eighteen: The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons that we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are unseen, those are the things that are going to last. Those are the things that are eternal. It's constantly driving us away from sight to walk by faith. We cannot see it right now. And so we trust God for it. And that's why the psalmist tells us to wait upon the Lord in this season. Wait. Wait for him. Because you see, this is the completeness to our salvation from beginning to end and everything in between. That's kind of the not-so-subtle message of Romans 8, 29. That those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he formed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. We're trusting Christ for all of this, that he is the, the forerunner and the finisher of our faith. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and all of it in between. He's Lord over all of it, and all of it is beautiful. All of it is proper. All of it is, is just right. We serve a God who makes no mistakes. We serve a God who does everything just right. And that's true whether we think of the plan of salvation or we think of his lordship and our sanctification and our daily living. 
and the way that we experience it. It's calling us to faith and to trust in our good God. But now here's the most amazing thing of all about time. And it's how the Lord himself condescended to us and how the eternal Son of God entered time. And what Paul says in Galatians 4, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Everything in its right season. See, even for the Son of God, there was a time to be born, a time to seek and to save the lost, a time to heal, and a time to love. And what's interesting is that we get this window into how Christ saw himself in in his earthly ministry, how he knew exactly every season. He knew how everything should be conformed to the right moment, and how often we read this phrase of him saying, my time has not yet come. And so in John 2, in the wedding of Cana, his mother comes to him and says, they're out of wine. And he says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Or the time when the crowd wanted to to stone him, the scripture says, but his time had not yet come. Or when his brother said, go up to the feast and make a name for yourself. That's how everybody does it who wants to be somebody. And Jesus says, any time is good in your eyes, but my hour has not come. But when it comes to the eve of his passion, he says, my time has come. And he understood that now was the season for him to suffer. In John 12, 27, he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. It is mind-boggling. Here is the eternal Son of God who is sovereign over all rule, authority, and power, dominion, all space and all time, and yet for him there is a time for every season. And just as there was a time for him to be born, now it is a time for him to die. There was a time for him to bless But now it is a time for him to be cursed. There was a time for him to heal, and he healed so many. But now is a time for him to be afflicted. There was a time in which he could rejoice, but now is a time for him to weep. And there was a time when he comforted multitudes of people, but now is a time for him to be condemned on behalf of many, many people. But Scripture says this is the reason why Christ came. We should never, ever think of Christ as a helpless victim, that this is the wrong guy at the wrong place at the wrong time. Scripture says, no, this is the whole purpose of his life. This is the right season. This is exactly the way it is supposed to happen. All the ages turn on this one moment of time, this this hour of darkness. But you see, this hour of darkness is consecrated as an hour of redemption. The cross is the time to die. But the cross is also a time to defeat sin and to set sinners free so they'd be forgiven of their sins and seen as righteous in the sight of God. And just as there is a time to die, there's a time to rise and to gain victory over death and to win eternal life. And just as there was a season for humiliation and death, so also there is a season for life 
and for blessing. It is now the season for the great silencer to be silenced, for the devourer to be devoured, for captivity to be taken captive. Now is the season in which Christ holds the keys of death and Hades. And it's Christ who gets the last word as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last and the beginning and the end. And it's time that is now the servant of Christ to do his will so that he could cause all things in your life to work together for good. That you could trust in him who began a good work in you to carry it forward all the way to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that is how we should view time. That's how we should see it. We do not always experience it that way. But we will. Just wait and see.